When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Rebecca Larson, owner of TutorsDynasty.com, and this is my podcast. The consummate power couple from hell, Edward Seymour and his wife, Anne Stanhope, were portrayed in Showtime's The Tudors as selfish, greedy, and uncompromising. In real life, you could say the same. Or is there more to the story? Before I get started talking about our topic for today, I'd like to thank all of my patrons on Patreon who have been with me from the beginning and been such a great support to me. I don't have any new patrons since last week's podcast, so I want to extend another thank you to those who have been with me from the beginning. There are currently 23 of you who support me through Patreon, and I want you to know that your support means the world to me. If you feel you'd like to make a monthly donation as well, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudors Dynasty and click Become a Patron. You can choose the monthly level that fits your budget. For as little as $1 per month, you can join my inner circle of best friends. If you're not interested in a monthly donation, you can make a one-time donation like my friends Suzanne, Veronica, Heather, and Dewey did this week. Thanks to the four of you for taking the time to acknowledge what I do and generously giving a donation. Just so you're aware, you do not need a PayPal account to make the donation. You can just click the link at the end of any of my articles and be sent to a secure PayPal link. All you need is a major credit or debit card. Thanks again to all of you who have been donating since the beginning, my new friends and all the friends yet to come. I'm using the money that you've given to purchase new books, yes, I have an addiction to knowledge, to pay for my subscription to Adobe Audition, what I use to record the audio for this podcast, and to buy a new microphone since the one I'm currently using was purchased out of a vending machine. Well, no, not really, but it's fairly low rent and I could sound a lot better. Have I mentioned yet that I'm working on a digital magazine as well? Apparently I have endless free time. Not really. But I enjoy sharing all of my stories with you, and when a follower asks me to do something, I can't say no. (laughs) Alright, now that the fun stuff is out of the way, let's get on with the podcast. Born in 1500, Edward Seymour was the second son of John Seymour and Marjorie Wentworth and grew up at Wolf Hall. The eldest son of the couple, John, most likely died in infancy, so Edward was now the oldest. He had nine siblings in all, most notably Thomas and Jane. It's believed that Edward was brought up at Wolf Hall under the supervision of his mother. John Seymour must have had a great relationship with King Henry VIII because on the 12th of October, 1514, A 14-year-old Edward Seymour was made page, quote, to do service to the queen, end quote. Catherine of Aragon, you ask? No. Actually, Mary Tudor, Queen of France, favorite sister of Henry VIII. This must have been a very exciting adventure for such a young man, but unfortunately it would not last long. In a matter of weeks, Edward, along with many other of the new French queen's attendants, were sent back to England. 
In the spring of 1514, Edward Seymour married Catherine Fillel, heiress to her father's fortune. The marriage most likely was arranged by their fathers since the couple were so young, Edward being only 14 years old. The couple lived in the household of Sir John Seymour at Wolf Hall until he turned 21 because his father had agreed to provide for the young couple until they came of age. It was important for John Seymour to take care of the young couple because his new daughter-in-law stood to inherit some great lands upon her father's death. Edward and Catherine had two sons. The eldest was John, named for his grandfather, and the second was Edward, presumably named after his father. Edward Seymour's social standing continued to climb when, in December 1516, he was listed as gentleman attendant in the king's privy chamber. Then on the 15th of July, 1517, he was secured the position of Constable of Bristol Castle. He was only 17 years old at the time, so the position was in title only, and his duties would have been performed by his father's deputies. Must be nice. The couple were married for over a decade before all hell broke loose. In a book called The Seymour Family by Amy Aubrey Lockie, the story is told. There are two different stories to explain. The first is a story that was given by Peter Halen, who was the author of History of the Reformation, which was published in 1674, and it states that when Edward Seymour was in France, possibly when he had accompanied the Duke of Suffolk in 1532, he had acquainted himself with a learned man who had a great skill in magic. From this man, he could be told how all his relations were back home. The way Halen explains it, it almost seems as if Edward was shown what was happening, like possibly in a crystal ball. I don't know. Seymour saw a male acquaintance in a, quote, familiar posture with his wife than was agreeable to the honor of either party, end quote. Whatever he saw, he believed it. So much so that when he arrived back in England, he estranged himself from his wife and their two sons, and instead of divorcing her, sent her to a convent. The second story is by Horace Walpole, which is found in Vincent's Baronage in the College of Arms. It's stated in Latin, which I've translated for you, and it says, because of his father, divorced after a marriage being acknowledged. Okay, so if we were to combine the two statements together, we'd find that Edward Seymour separated from Catherine Fallell because of his father's familiar relationship with her that was not agreeable to their honor. To back up the fact that Catherine Fallell disgraced her family, her father was so upset with her that she would no longer inherit all that she was supposed to as sole heiress. Instead, in her father's will, dated 1527, she is excluded from inheriting, for many diverse reasons and considerations, from any part or parcel of his manors and estates. Instead, she is left with an annual pension from the estate of 40 pounds, provided she go and, quote, virtuously and abide in some house of religion of women, end quote. In other words, a convent. So apparently her father was so disgusted by her, his daughter's actions that he took away her inheritance. Interestingly enough, author David Lodes in the Seymour family of Wolf Hall believes that the separation did not affect their children's legitimacy. Even though it had been suspected that John and Edward were actually John Seymour's children and brothers to Edward Seymour, not his children. He does mention in the book that the boys were not able to claim Edward Seymour's titles and that they played no part in his career. Supposedly, both boys went away with their mother and stayed with her until her death in 1535. 
Then they returned to the custody of Edward Seymour. Interesting, right? Depending on who you read, the following information varies regarding the marriage of Edward Seymour to a second wife, Anne Stanhope. David Lode says they married on the 9th of March, 1535, while Antonia Fraser says it was sometime in 1534 before Catherine Flall's death. And Margaret Scard says by the 9th of March, 1535. So we don't know for certain if it was before or after the death of his first wife. We can assume from the three authors that they were definitely married by the 9th of March, 1535. Regardless of when they were married, the new bride immediately put her foot down and said she wanted nothing to do with his sons, so they were both sent away from court to be educated. Anne Stanhope was the only child of Sir Edward Stanhope and Elizabeth Borchier. She was born in 1510. Unfortunately, when she was about one, her father died. There is little evidence that remains about Anne's childhood. It is, however, believed that she was a maid of honor to Catherine of Aragon. Her mother did eventually marry again, this time to Sir Richard Paget, who was also well-connected to King Henry VIII. Paget was a gentleman of the Privy Chamber for King Henry and also Vice Chamberlain in the household of Henry Fitzroy. Edward Seymour's position, thanks to his father's connection to the king, continued to rise at Tudor court. When his sister caught the eye of the king in 1536, it only helped Edward's advancement. Before the execution of Anne Boleyn on the 17th of May, 1536, Edward Seymour became a gentleman of the Privy Chamber, and when his sister Jane became queen, he was ennobled as Viscount Beauchamp. Queen Jane is always referred to as sweet or as a peacemaker. She apparently got along well with her sister-in-law Anne and never showed any interest in her nephews that were sent away. It always amazes me that a family with so much scandal surrounding it could end up with a daughter as queen. When Prince Edward was born on the 12th of October, 1537, Seymour was raised to the Earldom of Hartford, and his younger brother Thomas Seymour succeeded Edward's position in the Privy Chamber. Only 12 days later, Queen Jane was dead, and Prince Edward was only an infant. With infant mortality so high, the Seymour family would have been on edge. They understood how fast one family could fall from favor. Lucky for them, Edward was a healthy child, and things seemed more stable for Edward Seymour as the eldest uncle of the prince. Sometime in 1538, most likely on Anne's insistence, his boys by Catherine Flall were excluded from Edward Seymour's property and titles by Act of Parliament. She meant business, wanting her children to benefit from their father's standing, not his supposed children from his first marriage. Fast forward to 1559, after the execution of Edward Seymour, his son Edward from his first marriage was restored to the Earl of Hartford. <laughs> Both Edward and Anne Seymour continued to play important roles at Tudor court throughout the reign of Henry VIII, but when the king died on the 28th of January, 1547, everything changed and they became the most powerful couple in England. Henry VIII actually revised his will in December 1546, a month before his death. The reason behind the revisions were to, one, revise the composition of the council. These are the men who would become executors to his will. Two, to distribute the Howard property since the Duke of Norfolk and Earl of Surrey were both convicted of treason and sentenced to death. Three, to name whether, after Prince Edward's ascension, he should be aided by a council or a protector. It's been noted that King Henry was more interested in a council. 
Upon Henry VIII's death, the details regarding the distribution of the Howard land and the issue of a protectorate had not yet been finalized. Edward Seymour and Sir William Paget, the King's secretary and Seymour's ally, and possibly the executors of the late King's will as well, are believed to have changed it. They did so so that they could be in charge of distributing the Howard land and honors to whoever they pleased. Henry's will was signed with a stamp, so changes appeared easy to make. Three days after the king's death, Edward Seymour was named Lord Protector and Governor of the King. Author Margaret Scard said it best, Henry VIII never intended a protectorate. Quote, his failure to recognize the inherent weakness in terms of his will left the government of the country at the mercy of ambitious men. End quote. Boy, isn't that true. The transfer from one king to the next was always a hairy situation, especially when the new king was a mere child. See Henry VI as another example with the Wars of the Roses. That history lesson should have been enough warning for the eldest Seymour brother. Edward Seymour had made promises to William Paget to get him on his side. We know this because of a letter that Paget wrote him two years later. He starts by reminding him that they had discussed something in the gallery of Westminster before the king died, and how they had talked about their plan to make Seymour Lord Protector. Evidently, Seymour had told Paget that he would listen to his advice above any other man. Of course, that wasn't the case. Seymour got what he wanted from Paget. What was he going to do now? Seymour was already Lord Protector and he could do as he wished. In his will, Henry VIII had listed 16 men to be both executors of his will and members of the Regency Council. That is how he wanted things to be. He didn't want a protectorate. He also named 12 assistant executors, one of which was Edward Seymour's younger brother, and he was equally ambitious, Thomas Seymour. Thomas Seymour believed that he would be named Governor of the King. Like with the minority of Henry VI, his uncles shared the powerful positions. It wasn't only Thomas Seymour that was annoyed. Catherine Parr had believed that she would be named Regent, even going as far as changing her signature to indicate her new position. In mid-February 1547, Edward Seymour decided to be styled as Duke of Somerset. Truly amazing, since that title is traditionally associated with the Beaufort line of ancestors of Henry VIII. Now, as Lord Protector, Governor of the King, and Duke of Somerset, Edward Seymour's authority had grown. He could now add and remove councillors at will and convene the council at any time. He could act without permission and was essentially de facto king. Exactly what Henry VIII did not want. He even went so far as to address the French king, Francis I, as brother in a letter, something reserved to another monarch, just as Henry VIII had called Francis I his brother. When the newly titled Duke of Somerset, how I will refer to him going forward, raised his brother Thomas to Baron Seymour of Sudley, Thomas took it as a slap in the face. He believed governor of the king was his position. Somerset tried to placate him by making him Lord High Admiral. While this pleased him, it didn't cure his desire to have more. Looking for more power and wealth, Thomas Seymour did what he knew how to do best, evidently. He schemed. First, he asked Princess Elizabeth Tudor to marry him, knowing full well that being married to Elizabeth would bring him as close to the throne as he could achieve. She turned him down, in the sweetest manner possible, saying she needed to mourn her father and could not consider a marriage for at least two years. 
Thomas, slightly discouraged, went to the next best choice, his former love and dowager queen, Catherine Parr. Parr still loved Seymour and was acting like a young girl in love. She had married the aging, obese king instead of Seymour in 1543 because she felt that it was God's will to do so. So when she had the opportunity to be with Seymour again, she jumped at the chance. The couple secretly married in the spring of 1547, way too soon for the widow of the late king. Thomas and Catherine looked for a way to get away with their secret marriage without getting in any trouble because they hadn't asked the council for permission to marry. When Somerset discovered the two had married, he was livid that his own brother had went behind his back to get permission from the young king. He even went to young King Edward and yelled at him about giving them permission. King Edward had noted in his diary about the exchange and said, quote, the Lord Protector was much offended, end quote, and that was all. Now, who was the king exactly? Edward's wife, Anne Seymour, was equally displeased with the union. Not only did Thomas and Catherine marry too soon after Henry VIII's death, but Catherine Parr was marrying well beneath her station, since Thomas was merely a baron. Both Edward and Anne felt Thomas had disgraced their family's name by going behind their backs. Catherine Parr still played the role as queen with a household the same size as when she married Henry VIII. Thomas Seymour, being the husband of Catherine, would have felt as if he had some power, finally. Anne, Duchess of Somerset, was annoyed with the fact that Catherine Parr would take precedence over her as the wife of the Lord Protector. The story that has been told is that she would push or nudge the Dowager Queen out of the way as to walk in front of her, showing she took precedence now. Now, I've been just as guilty of telling this story as others, but apparently we all may be mistaken, and I want to clear it up and give you more evidence. Author Margaret Scard states that it is unlikely that the Duchess of Somerset was resentful toward Catherine Parr. Anne would have understood that she would have take place behind Catherine just as she would behind Anne of Cleves, the king's sister. The real issue appears to be between the Duchess of Somerset and Thomas Seymour. She took issue with the precedent he felt he deserved since he was married to the Dowager Queen. He believed that his marriage to Catherine would and should raise him above other noblemen. Maybe that means he felt he could walk alongside his wife in a procession. This would be what the Duchess had opposed. In addition to that, both the Duke and Duchess of Somerset were angry with Thomas for embarrassing them by going behind their back and marrying Catherine. That information is found in the book by Margaret Scard about Edward Seymour and references the original rumor to be from Catholic writers in the 1550s. That makes a bit more sense, right? They wanted to make the heavily Protestant Anne Seymour, Duchess of Somerset, look bad. If we look at Chris Skidmore's book about Edward VI, he continues with the story that the Duchess of Somerset, who is described as, quote, a woman for many imperfections intolerable and for pride monstrous, subtle and violent, end quote, as does Antonia Fraser when she states in The Wives of Henry VIII that the Duchess of Somerset, quote, openly jostled with Queen Catherine for precedence on the grounds that as the wife of the protector, she was the first lady in England, end quote. However, there is no justification for her actions. Catherine Parr had been granted precedence by statute, and the Duchess would also have to walk behind Princess Mary, Princess Elizabeth, and Anne of Cleves. 
Interestingly enough, in Elizabeth Norton's book about Catherine Parr, she states that Anne Seymour had always resented having to pay court to the former Lady Latimer. Coming from an aristocratic courtly family herself, she felt she need not carry the train of her husband's younger brother. Edward Seymour, Lord Protector and Duke of Somerset, refused to get in the middle of this quarrel and told his brother Thomas, quote, Brother, are you not my younger brother? And am I not protector? And do you not know that your wife, before she married the king, was of lower rank than my wife? I desire, therefore, since the queen is your wife, that mine should go before her. End quote. Thomas, now more angry, replied with, quote, I am sorry there should be any anger between them, but I can tell you that the queen is determined not to allow it, so do not blame me for it. End quote. After the brothers' conversation, Thomas went back and informed his wife of what words had been exchanged, and Catherine was humiliated. She is recorded as saying, quote, I deserve this for degrading myself from a queen to marry an admiral, end quote. Not only was Catherine being pushed aside by the Duke and Duchess of Somerset for marrying Thomas, but now they refused to allow her access to her jewels in the Tower of London. Somerset stated that they were the property of the crown now. This infuriated Catherine because some of the jewels were actually her possessions, gifts that she had been given by the late king and her mother. She was not asking for the queen's jewels. Both Thomas and Catherine tried everything to get her jewels back. They even hired legal counsel and discussed it with the young king to no avail. Catherine would never see her jewels again. Catherine Parr's death came as a surprise to everyone, especially her husband Thomas. You could say her death catapulted him into a death spin that would ultimately lead to his execution. After his wife's death, Thomas had asked the Duchess of Suffolk to raise their daughter Mary. It wasn't long after the death of the Dowager Queen that Thomas Seymour's reckless behavior caught up with him. It is believed that his brother, the Duke of Somerset, is the one who gave the order to investigate and gather information against Thomas. Eventually, evidence would be found, or possibly fabricated, and Somerset would sign the order for his brother's execution. For his actions against his brother, he was heavily criticized. What he actually had done was weakened his own standing. In 1550, he was removed from the office of protector, but was readmitted to the council the following year. All the plotting and scheming that Somerset had done himself was now happening to him by John Dudley, Earl of Warwick. When on the 16th of October, 1551, Somerset was arrested and sent to the Tower of London. He was executed, just like his brother had been, on the 22nd of January, 1522. A man by the name of John Hayward is noted as saying that the downfall of the Seymour brothers was the direct result of the rivalry of their wives. The Duke and Duchess of Somerset were indeed the power couple of Tudor court during the reign of Edward VI. Unfortunately, between the two of them, they were also responsible for the disgrace of the Seymour name. Thank you so much for joining me again for this Tudor's Dynasty podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to send me a message either on Facebook, Twitter, my Patreon page, or by email to EnglishHistoryBlogger at gmail.com. 